0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform. My name is Anda. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, and I'm hosting our data-driven CMO series, during which I will interview CMOs who are ahead of the curve when it comes to both content and data and how they use both to move their business forward. In these interviews, we're going to reveal really unique perspectives on the importance and intersection of measurement and content, but also a ton of fun personal stories and great career advice from these incredible leaders. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data-Driven CMO Podcast. I'm super excited to be here today with Jill Kramer, who is the CMO of Accenture. Hi, Jill, and welcome. Hello, Ana. I'm so glad to be here. It's wonderful to see you. You're honestly one of my favorite people in the industry and you're also just one of my favorite people in general. I remember meeting you a few years ago and your conviction around the intersection of data and content was so striking to me. And then I've been fortunate enough to just see you kick ass over the last few years as you've risen through the ranks and basically took over before the rebrand of Accenture, right? And you led that rebrand and then took over as CMO and you've navigated through COVID and you're now navigating through all of this. Long story short, I'm just super excited to hear what you have to say today, but congrats on everything you've achieved in the last few years. And I would love maybe for you to start telling us about your journey as a marketer and how you got to where you are. Well, first of
1: all, what an introduction that was. Thank you. I have loved (laughs) every interaction you and I have had, and not only because you're so kind to me, but because I love your energy and your spirit and your passion. So I think when two people are so passionate, every time we get together, we could talk forever. Yeah. My journey as a marketer is non-traditional. I have learned as I've been in this role and I've talked to more people and just a little side note on that. What a fabulous idea. Maybe when I'm done with this job, I'll semi-retire and just write about different people's journeys. Because one thing that I think is wonderful about our area of our professional territory is that I don't think any two journeys are the same. They're so non-formulaic and I think that's what makes us such a tapestry of
0: creativity. That's so true. I think almost no one starts the journey as a marketer thinking I'm going to be a marketer. They started thinking they're going to do something else.
1: I think about that all the time. And in fact, recently I wrote a note to a professor, my first communications professor wow. at the University of Massachusetts, saying, here I am. Did I ever think I would be here or want it to be here? Absolutely not. But I remember how much he inspired me. Mm-hmm. around the craft of communication and the responsibility of it. And that has stuck with me ever since I walked those campus fields. So I do think it's important. You don't necessarily intend to get exactly where you're going, but isn't it a nice thing to go back and reflect upon the people who helped you, helped you get there? My journey was really very focused on advertising. I was a communications major, and I did love all things marketing and communications, but I was incredibly passionate about advertising like many, I did get in any way I could. My very first job was the receptionist of a very small agency in a town Mm -hmm, called Spokane, Washington. The good news was the receptionist had to do a lot of things and I learned a lot of things. The most important thing I learned at that job was that it's not about knowing everything. And that was a big aha moment for me. It was about asking the right questions, trusting your instincts, and putting ideas on the table. From there, you know a long journey in different agencies, probably the most foundational experience for me was helping a small agency start up in St. Louis, Missouri. I had worked at a larger agency there, went over to the client side and ran advertising at an airline for a while. But then one of my previous bosses was starting an agency and said, I can only hire one person. I want it to be you. Will you come over? And as a new mom, I think you'll resonate with the fact that I had just had my first child and I'm Not sure if I was sleep-deprived, nutritionally efficient, or some combination of the above. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll do that. Watching an agency form from the ground up really makes you understand what clients need and the way you must focus on what they need because you have no room for waste. You have Mm -hmm. no room for wasted time, talent, or money. That was a wonderful experience with wonderful human beings who mentored me and taught me a lot. Eventually, that agency was acquired by Omnicom which led me to fantastic experiences at DDB and BBDO. And from BBDO, I left and came over to Accenture to run their advertising. If you ask me why, I can't tell you. I just knew that every person I met at Accenture I liked. That has also been an incredibly true experience for me. The leaders here are remarkably brilliant, but exceptionally accessible. Everybody is, how can I help? That was the kind of culture I wanted to be in. So I think that That moment for me, kind of, how do you get in the door and what's the first thing you learn? How do you build your career with mentors who give you opportunities, but also represent who you want to be like? And it would be the same truth for me around leadership. I came here because those were the leaders I wanted to work with, but also who I wanted to emulate. And so that's been my career journey. It really has been following a path of just wherever my ambition took me, where I'm an incredibly loyal person. So I did not change jobs frequently. In fact, there came a time when I realized I had not updated my CV and I didn't even know what was on it anymore. Some people get places by changing a lot. I did not have that type of characteristic of my career. And then, of course, a lot of my career choices were driven by family. My husband, who had a job, required him to move, so I moved with him. What I wanted to do when I had my children. I didn't know how I wanted to balance work and career, if I wanted to balance work and career. So, all of those choices, you know, they mix in and it becomes a bit of a cocktail of how you are formed. But that's a little bit of a background of who I am and where I've been prior to this role.
0: I love that. And I love that you're so focused on commitment. I'm very similar in that way. I'm maybe a little bit too focused on commitment. That's why I've also committed, you know, in every possible way. I've always been like a long relationship person, but I've also obviously been building the company for a while and continuing to stay committed to it. So I appreciate that. It also sounds like you made decisions based on not only your kind of brain, but your gut and your heart. And that's interesting too, right? Because going into a completely new agency, it's full risk, right? Like there was nothing there except for someone you knew and trusted probably and respected. And so I wanted to actually ask you, what's one of the main lessons you learned outside of the focus on the customers? You know, more so in actually building a business, I'm assuming that wasn't easy. What's one of the main lessons you learned as an entrepreneur?: Well, one of the most important lessons I learned is what you just tapped into.
1: Different people are driven by different things. I am a very people-driven person. I will make less money, I will have slower career growth if I love who I work for and who I work with. None. Everyone is driven by that, and that doesn't make them a bad person at all, but some people really need motion. They need progress. they have markers in their mind. And Mm -hmm. they also want to love the people they work for or with, but they have a different balance. Other people have a great capacity for change. So they want to do different things and really be sure that they're in the right place. They question. And so the biggest thing I learned when helping to staff that small agency in St. Louis, Missouri was there was a lot I didn't know about choosing talent and building a team. I was recently having a wonderful conversation with a leader I respect greatly on my team here at Accenture. She was mentioning the different ways extroverts and introverts create and innovate and respond to timelines and projects. And so all of those things play a role, personal motivation, learning style. Are you an introvert or you're an extrovert? And I think many times we don't really appreciate all of those differences when building a team, staffing a function, or staffing an entire agency or business, the two men who ran that agency, I mentioned them being fantastic mentors. They were so people centric mm-hmm. that they taught me a lot about that. We'd be doing interviews and I'd be looking at experience and, you know, can they get this done? And they'd say, but why would they want to get it done? Where's their motivation coming from? Where's their happiness going to come from? And that was great to learn. I was very young. I had just been in my late 20s to learn that at an early age in a way that was very hands-on and high risk because we were staffing a small agency. So success or failure was a thin line. That was formative for me. And I really do suggest as often as you can, what are you putting on the line? What are you risking when you form a team? And how are you being as aware as possible of the people and the personalities and the skills and the experiences that you're bringing together to form that team?
0: I love that idea of really understanding someone's motivation profile in building the team. It's a really, really good insight. What's been the hardest thing for you to explain to non-marketers about marketing? And I'm in particular curious in your current role because as CMO and, and CMCO, actually, you have to do that. I'm assuming to the board, you're having to do that to obviously your boss, to the CFO, to the CTO, to clients. What's the hardest thing? Well, I'll start with my boss. I'm very fortunate to work for
1: someone who greatly, greatly values marketing and communication, sees it as foundational to our business, is highly interested and engaged and collaborative. So not every situation is that situation. I think when you're in a job like CMO or CMCO, you have to be incredibly aware of your leadership team and your boss, what their perspective is. That does not mean the difference between success or failure, but as a marketer, as a communicator, first rule is know your audience. But almost Um, everyone has a bias, right? Like either positive or negative. 100%. 100%. Very few people are neutral. And I don't think they're immovable when they have one bias Mm -hmm. or another. I think Mm -hmm. that inviting them to participate, I'm a highly participatory person, highly collaborative person. So inviting them to participate, understanding the joy they may get from that, even if they're not a huge fan of marketing, if they see it as more of an expense than a business driver, what kind of participation will bring them the most joy and the most? connection and feeling of affinity toward your function. Again, we're audience experts. We're insight experts. Know that and do that. The other side of the coin, I think, are your family and friends. And I was just talking to a young woman on my team yesterday. I love to do one-on-ones with people across the function. And and she's 26 years old, very similar age to my daughter. So we were chatting a lot. She said, "You know, my mom doesn't really know what I do. And I said, neither does mine. I remember just recently... (laughs) I said, finally, I just kind of focused on advertising because like she understands what ads are and she sees yeah. them and that was it. But she would, especially when I was leading brand, she's like, I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? The global <laughs> head of brand. I just a bit gave up. I think that that's a little bit of our challenge in our function. A lot of people think that they know what marketing is. They think they can do it. Every chance mm-hmm. you get to recognize and celebrate the true craft skills that are inherent in your function as a marketing leader, as a communication leader, that's required of us. Don't just focus on the output and the outcome. Really focus on what did it take to get us there? Where are the strategic, brilliant brains? We do this a lot here at Accenture. You know, we might be having a big global meeting and our marketing communication strategy leads will lead some of the events and people are constantly pinging me saying, Oh my gosh the insights, the brains, the use of data, really passionate. When you have someone who is an excellent writer or they put forward a creative concept, but more importantly, they address feedback. Like Mm -hmm. really hone in on, this is their superpower and don't allow our function of what we do to be oversimplified. And then of course, yes, celebrate the fun work we do, the fun output, the results it drives. But I think I've learned that it really is incumbent upon marketing communication leaders to don't skate past that. It's normal to us. We take it for granted, but constantly say, this is so-and-so. This is what they do. This is what they bring. Allow it to be celebrated and recognized because people do realize, oh, that is different than who I am and the skills I bring to the business. So I think that's good for everyone.
0: You're also saying that basically explain to people a little bit how the sausage is made, not just show them the final product. I like that because I think it raises awareness of the kind of actual work that goes into it. And the fact that there's a lot of work and the fact that there's a lot of data that goes into it, it's not just this madman sort of thing where we all grab a bottle of whiskey and drink a bunch and then come up with all the solutions.
1: And so yeah, that, that is, makes sense. It's so much fun to see other business leaders around my company learn that and get to know that. Our CHRO is a great partner of mine and she'll be like, okay, Jill, I think I need strategy and creative. And she's getting to know like, what are the ingredients you'll need? Yeah from my team and remembering, don't take those for granted, highlight them and say, this is the team. These are their superpowers. And this is why you get this thing you love
0: at the end. Mm -hmm. So what role, if any, does data play in those conversations? And with whom do you use data the most of your peers and maybe board slash boss? Full stop, everyone, 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 everyone.
1: In fact, it has been my anchor for the past year plus stepping into this role. The first thing I did was steep myself in every type of data, not the least of which is the view of the work you are doing in the function. So hmm. on to think about every contract you have with a client. You understand what they need. You understand your scope of work with them and you staff it accordingly. And there's mm-hmm. complete transparency because we are going to do this, this, and this and provide you this, this, and this. I'm going to staff you with this many experts. You're going to tap into this team. The first thing I did was, how much work are we doing here? Very often, marketing communication functions run and they're running, but they're never pausing to look at the full canvas, the full scope of work. So that was the first thing I did. It was manual at first. Luckily, I happened to belong to an organization who is fantastic at building technology solutions. So we started using a lot of our own technology, a lot of our own intelligent operations, to look at that data. So you begin with the most basic of views. What are we doing? How much are we doing? Mm -hmm. Where is the bulk of the work happening? Where do we need more to happen? Where do we need less to happen? Then, of course, what do you click into next? What's working and what's not? In order to make decisions around weight, volume, investment, you need to know what's working and what's not. And then one thing that I think all too often gets mushed together is data and insights. And they really are two different things and two different disciplines. So when you're able to look at the landscape of work, when you're able to understand the KPIs, what's working and what isn't, then you get the beautiful and what I think is the most fun part, which is why. Why Mm -hmm. are we doing so much of that? There's something about the business that thinks we have to do incredible volume here. There's something about why some things are working and some are not. So I love The insights part, the understanding what people are responding to, digging into that with both qualitative and quantitative exercises, because I think that's where people in our craft, they get really, really motivated. So it's really that whole landscape of seeing the full picture, understanding what works, what's worthy of your time and what's worthy of your investment, and then understanding the why or the why not that will make you even better as you go forward.
0: What I love about your answer is when you started talking about what data you looked at first, it was obvious that you were looking at sort of outward data, if you will, like where's the business? You were looking at commercial data to then inform what the marketing strategy should be. Whereas I think a lot of marketers start by looking at marketing data and it's a little bit kind of staying in your own little bubble or they'll go commission research to figure out what's their brand awareness. And I'm not saying that's not relevant, but I appreciate the fact that you anchored yourself in the commercials of the business and then moved towards the marketing data. That's pretty cool.
1: It was illuminating.
0: It's fun. And I think it
1: gives you the ability to incorporate data into every conversation you have with the business. And that drives incredible confidence. I think every one of us should get it in a way, and this is very personal, that just works for you. I work data and stats into every conversation because that's the way my brain works, right? I understand first, like what's the full picture, then I click in and click in and click in. So when you're talking to the business and they're talking about an area of focus, and let's say they are clearly talking about it as a major priority, but you know for a fact that when you look at the marketing communications landscape, it's medium-sized at best. Why is there a disparity? And if you're able to quickly say, but if you look at the focus and the investment we're putting here, it's half of what we're putting here. Is that our intention? Mm -hmm. And people are like, wait, what? Let's talk about that. And I'm so impressed that you know that. And there's a confidence that then causes everybody to lean in. And when you go back to the business, especially the one that might have been getting a little too much investment or too much focus and say, we want to keep this, but we know the size and we know the weight we need to put here. And we're under-investing over here, which is going to drive our business and ultimately connects back to you because there's nothing you do for any part of the business that won't end up enhancing everything else. There's also a trust that comes from that. You didn't just decide, sorry, we're doing less for you and more for this area of the business, but it is based in facts. It is based in data. And you also commit to how you will know that was the right decision. And if it wasn't, how you will adjust and how quickly will you be able to know that so you can adjust if you need to.
0: Well, I think another way that I would say what you just said is that you have anchored your currency with the rest of the company in the language that you all should speak and probably speak, which is the commercial language. I think a lot of marketers try to anchor themselves in marketing data. And sometimes some people believe in it and sometimes some people don't believe in it. And it's a lot more debatable. But the thing that is not debatable that everyone speaks is the commercial data. And so I appreciate that. How are you thinking about training your team to think in this way? Because they're obviously, their day in, day out is looking at marketing data. How do you pull them back into the commercial side?
1: There's two parts to it. There's one group who loves it as much as I do. And so they're like, wait, how did you know that? How can I know that? Literally, can you write that out for me? And then they come back to you and they go, look, I did a similar exercise. Here's what I saw. Here's what I found. That's so fulfilling and Mm -hmm. so exciting. And then there's other people who need to be brought along more specifically. And so there's always an element of governance if you're doing the right thing. So you go back and you ask the question again and again, and you use those data points to ask the question. I just did this yesterday. I was looking at some data for our first quarter activities and came back with areas that absolutely should have question marks. Absolutely. Others are clear sailing. I see the connection to the business strategy. Everything looks smart. Everything's anchored in our goals. Everything's anchored in our brand. Go. Then there's other areas where you're saying, how did you come to this decision? I think there's areas that happen for all of us in every brand. Things like, how many events do you do? How many are small, medium, or large? How do you know what work? How much content do you produce mm-hmm. across the organization? You know, one of the things you have to watch out for is that you look at that in sections instead of looking at it in sections, but then also pull back and look at it in total. Right. Those are the kind of things where if someone sometimes they're making a decision without data. Sometimes the data is only marketing data or only marketing data for their section. And then you just keep asking them to click out, rewarding that conversation, rewarding the decisions that it makes them make. And I talk to everybody here all the time about you deserve the right context to let your strategic brain make the right decision. If you only see this much, you can only make decisions on that much. So click out and click out and click out again because your brain is trained to make the right decision. Don't limit the access you have to information. I
0: love that advice. That's really, really good advice. And it's also phrased in such a positive way that encourages everyone to really try to do the work and not be scared or overwhelmed by it. So I appreciate that. I hope everyone hears it and takes it to heart. One of the things that I've been noticing over the last maybe two years, sitting at the intersection of content and data is that most marketing teams are broken into these types of functions, right? You have the data, you have the content, you have the brand, you have demand gen, but then the actual journey of a customer with a brand is a lot more continuous. And so I started to think about what are the parts that maybe organizations are missing in the journey of someone because they're siloed the way they are, because they're organized the way they are. And so we started talking internally about this idea of the missing middle, I don't know Mm -hmm. if I've shared this with you before, but the notion that a lot of teams are focused on either the beginning of the journey, which is, you know, brand and SEO and paid social and whatever, or the end of the journey, which is performance. But what really happens in the middle and how do you organize yourself and your strategy to make sure you're touching and convincing your customer to go on this journey with you every step of the way? So instead of asking you questions about like, how have you built your content team and how have you built your data team? I want to ask you, how have you thought about building your overall team and your strategy to really be there for your prospect or your customer all along that journey? I think it's a challenge, but
1: we should also give ourselves a bit of grace that there's not really a wrong answer as long as you're always looking at the full picture. So you can organize by discipline. You could make cross-discipline teams by line of service or line of business. Or if your business has a house of brands, you could look at them across. I don't think there's a wrong decision as long as you don't create a bubble around the structure you create. So if the content team gets a bubble around it Mm -hmm. and all they think of is the content and they're not looking at things like advertising or social media or internal communications or website performance stats, Then you did it wrong. If you string all of those things together and you do it for a line of service or an offering, same thing. Don't create a bubble around that because your customer doesn't, your client doesn't. And I think that's exactly it. So, what we're doing, and again, I'm incredibly blessed to work at a company where you could pick up the phone and say, could we build something like this? But what we're doing is trying to connect those dots. That's what it's all about. No matter how you organize, and we've just been going through this, so we've looked at different ways to organize, but how many dots can your person connect so that they are having the full view when they make their strategic decisions? How are you holding them accountable for getting that view and connecting those dots? So we're building a technology system that you might be in the content area, but you can look at everything else going on Mm -hmm. for a certain part of the business. So you know better than anyone, Anda, that sometimes you want to time content around an event because it makes for a great launch moment. Uh, Sometimes you need to look at what's traditionally called account-based marketing or client-centric marketing. You have a Mm -hmm. content strategy, but is it too much when you look at it from an audience perspective? Do you look at the audience first and then ask for the content you need? There's no wrong way to do it as long as you're looking at the entire continuum the way your client or customer would experience the brand. And I do think you need technology and tools to do that. In too many places, it's based on Having to pull people together, which is when you get meeting fatigue, oh, I'm trying to action a project, but I got to check it with seven other parts of the org. So I try to get on everyone's calendar and some people can make it and some people can't. So that is where technology is our friend. How can Mm -hmm. those views be there for everyone? Highly transparent, easy to interact with. And then what you do is you pick up the phone to ask the question or you gather people to ask the questions or discuss the opportunities. I think it's really... You decide on an A, B, or C structure, but the key is, how are you governing that? And what are the requirements and the pipes you're building to allow
0: for everybody to connect every single dot? Right. And is everyone looking at the same data, basically, right? Because ultimately, you want all these different teams to have a source of truth that they can get aligned around. And I would assume you know better than anyone that very often the answer is they're not looking at the same data. I think sometimes the answer is they're looking at the same data, but they don't know what to do with it or how to action it. And sometimes they're not looking at the same data. And I think sometimes they fight over what data is the right data to look at, which is probably one or two levels below. Once you set the strategy, once everyone's aligned, even then you still have to ensure that there's continuous alignment around that because that can get hairy. I think that's a little bit what's the motivation. When you set the
1: strategy, it should be fairly clear what your best data points will be Mm -hmm. for both input and measuring performance. I find that when you ask after the fact, people are trying to find the data points that will justify Justifying the decision, it, yeah. right? And that's because we make success having done the right thing instead of success equating to learning. Because you may have done something really well, but you could still do it better. Or you may have done something that didn't work exactly as you thought, but what you learned from it and the bits of when you got were absolutely worth it. So I think yeah. we're framing what success looks like is important. For a little while, that was framed as fail fast. And I think it's not about fail fast, fail slow. I mean, it's hard for people, but it's about, are you learning? Are you getting new perspectives? Are you getting new data points? Are you getting new examples off of which to base your next decision?
0: Yeah. And I also think a lot about leading versus lagging indicators because I think oftentimes success is just based on lagging indicators, which are the most important ones, right? It's like commercial success. Like, are you actually moving the needle on the dollar sign? But there's so many leading indicators and getting aligned on what those right leading indicators are early on is important. And then I think the second part, which I want to ask you about is, how do you give your team and people who maybe aren't data-driven by background, how do you give them the space, the training to spend 10 to 20% of their time looking at leading indicators And then knowing how to incorporate that into either their daily decision-making, their weekly, like whatever cadence is right. And what is the right cadence even, right? Like that's even a question in and of itself.
1: So there's two things. One is you need to know your organization and does your organization have clear business goals? So let's go back to your earlier point about you start with the business data, you start Mm -hmm. with the business strategy and you click in. Everybody has different structures in their company. Everybody has different bosses. And as we mentioned earlier, different perspectives of marketing. One thing that should be non-negotiable is, do we all agree on what success looks like? Do we Mm -hmm. all agree on the destination we're traveling to? I was recently chatting with our chief strategy officer, and we both agreed that if you don't know what your end goal is, you're not ready to begin. If you hold yourselves accountable to that, everyone will do better. The second point harkens back to our conversation about building a team and understanding different people have different motivations. Not Mm -hmm. everyone is motivated by the data part. What are they motivated by? And are you forming a team where you're bringing different types of motivations and different types of skill sets together? If you would have asked me three years ago, I would have told you I'm not data motivated at all. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't really like it. I like to hear the readouts and be able to make decisions. Now I'm up to my eyeballs in the weeds. I have learned to love it. So I think that understand what motivates why, because to me, I want to drive change. And I can't drive change if I don't know what's causing us to be where we are today. So my motivation presents itself a little bit differently than someone who is a true you know, data expert whose motivation mm-hmm. might be the different formulas they could create or the different data sets they can create. So I think it goes back to understanding the motivation. And then the final thing is to celebrate. Celebrate the use of data. Celebrate by investing in risks. You know our media team well they're putting forward different approaches right now because they have years worth of data and they're feeling emboldened by it. They're feeling excited by it. And I'm going to invest in it. I'm going with your hypothesis. I'm going with what you want to try because you've invested the time and the data to show me why you think this is the right decision and exactly how you're going to know if it works. So I think, you know, what does everybody want at the end of the day? It's their work to be seen and their work to be celebrated. So I think that aligning the fact that Risks, investments, chances, innovation is going to be bigger, stronger, bolder when it's tied to data. Everybody will eventually get there. They just might get there a little differently. I love
0: that. Thank you for that answer. So, switching gears a little bit, I have a big two part question for you. And it's about this crazy roller coaster we've been on, and we're not getting off of it soon, it seems like. Part one is what's one of the main lessons you've learned since March 2020? And the second part is, What's one thing that you're changing as a strategy as you look ahead at the next 12 months based on some of the signals of the last three to six months?
1: First of all, I think what I learned was the importance of what I'll call transitions. When the pandemic hit, we all lost our transitions, the walk to the train, the Mm. walk to your car, your Mm -hmm. drive time, anytime you could get out of work mode and into regular life mode. I really counted on that. I had a long commute every day and I had a formula Mm -hmm. that I don't even know if I realized I had, but Mm -hmm. I had a productivity period on my commute and then I had a decompression period on my commute. I completely lost that and I was fatigued and I didn't know why. So I think that understanding transitions, and you can apply that to so many things, Anda. We are going through an evolution here in our marketing and communications department. And the same philosophy applies to that, right? Am I giving people a little grace, the ability to transition? Everybody understands. It's not all of a sudden a switch flips and you're doing something differently. Where is that? And I'm learning because sometimes I do get very driven and I can't wait to hit the next milestone. Like, okay, let me soften that. Let's give ourselves a transition period. That was my biggest lesson. A lot of people talk about how much closer people got, how you got glimpses into people's real life. It humanized us all. It took away a lot of false pretenses. I 100% agree to all of that. But I personally experienced the removal of transitions and the effect it had on me, which tuned me into recognizing it happening to other people. Right. So that's just something I've personally become very passionate about. I know it's a lifelong lesson. You could think about sending your child to college or when they first learned to drive or When your parent might be dealing with something new, like that whole concept of transition is something that I've loved to learn about. What has it changed about our strategy? This is less the marketing strategy, but the way we run the function, even though we are and have been and always will be a global company, which means that people are always in different offices, we're all here on Zoom calls or Teams calls. Well, there's never been a meeting at Accenture that didn't have a virtual component because We don't all travel to the same place. We're a global company. But what I learned was how it was not inclusive before. The people who were in the room had Mm -hmm. more investment and more opportunity than people who were not in the room. So strategically, that changed people's career paths, literally their career paths. So strategically, what I'm focused on is ensuring that that does not happen. How are we intentionally crafting experiences, teams, Leadership teams, career paths, so that people don't have to be in the room to succeed. I think we've all learned really nice manners around pausing and going around the circle of participants, not around the room, but around the circle of participants in order to do that. And that probably does also click out to our marketing strategy, because I think that will always be the same for the rest of the world how you recruit people, how you help clients engage, how you create experiences for those clients or the new employees. So I think that's something that will forever change our strategy is the idea of, we call it omnipresence, omni-connected. How do you make sure everybody has equal ability to belong and participate no matter where you are physically located? That has had a big effect on me because I've always been at the nucleus because I've been in Mm -hmm. New York and that's Mm -hmm. not everyone's experience and it shouldn't have to be.
0: Mm. I love both of those insights. I think I resonate a lot with the transitions idea because... I think it sounds like you're also a relatively impatient person and I'm very impatient. And so when I was given the opportunity to have like 10 meetings a day versus five or six meetings a day, I was like, oh, yes. And oh, I can also answer email while I'm on this call. That's great. Let's do it. And so the lack of those transitions, I think it just made my brain never go into reflection mode and also just understanding the need that others have around that. It's great. It's an insight I'm taking away in real time that I have to think about. So thank you. For I knew that. there was a reason you and I got along. We both yeah. pack our calendars the exact same way and be motivated
1: by it. So you do have yeah. to say, wait a minute, I am fulfilled. I am motivated, but that doesn't mean I'm resting and reflective and at my best. And it Who's took that? a friend of mine who happens to be a social worker to point that out to me saying, how are you transitioning your end of day? And I was like, what do you mean?
0: And she taught me that. So I'm grateful. That's a really good one. I love it. So last question for you, Everyone's talking about a potential recession coming. The signals are mixed, right? Different companies have different earnings. How are you thinking about your marketing strategy going forward? And is it changing at all because of some of these signals? You know, we're always
1: very close to anything that affects our clients' realities and the conditions in which our clients need to succeed. The bottom line is our clients do need to succeed. And change is probably going to be a part of that. The reasons why and the types of change might be different. But the ability to change quickly, effectively, efficiently in a way that will drive greater performance and/or growth, that will always be a truth. I mm-hmm. think that's why we're such trusted partners of our clients. So I think that when it comes to how we market, what we'll always focus on is that client centricity, understanding their world, their conditions, what do they need to succeed in terms of content, understanding potential solutions, tangible examples of change and how it did positively impact growth performance etc we did that in the digital age because everyone was embracing change and moving toward a digital world we did it through the pandemic because people were dealing with things they didn't know couldn't see coming and we'll do that next because people will want to be as future proof as possible as connected to their clients and customers and employees so it's that understanding that every client has a vision and how do we understand that enable it broaden it and then make it happen. Give them a perspective that is unique to us because of our breath, and then really know how to make it come to life. That's that whole concept behind let there be change. Change will always come. Let's embrace it, accept it, and make it happen.
0: Well, you know what's beautiful about Accenture's business is that in some ways, change is your business. That's where your business really comes out of, right? You're experts in how to manage change. And so you're right, the last few years and probably the next few years are going to continuously bring even more disruptive change. And so it's great to hear that you're continuing to put your clients at the center. And it sounds like you're not backing down. You're probably going to go on the quote unquote offense when it comes to your marketing, which is great to hear. I think a lot of people will be happy to hear that.
1: I think always being where your clients need you to be so they can learn, they could see, they could dream, they could plan. That's always our ultimate goal.
0: That's awesome. Well, Jill, this was such a fun conversation. Thank you. You're both like human and marketer and human and data nerd and you blend all the right things into one person and I love talking to you. So thank you so much. Right back at janda's so wonderful to spend time with you. Thanks for listening to Data Driven
1: CMO. Take a moment to subscribe so you can drop in on future conversations with CMOs who are ahead of the curve in content and data using both to move their businesses
0: forward. Learn more how the right data can reveal your organization's true audience journey at Notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. And thanks for listening.